Well, hey, new friends. I'm just jumping in here to say, um, I hope that you feel the same way, as in that we are trauma-exploring pals together with a similar focus on moving forward with, you know, a less fucked-up brain patterning issue and all of that relational destruction. That being said, I'm not a professional. I'm not a crisis worker. I'm just some human who talks about trauma from the inside out, which means any information you hear out of this mouth is for your own personal discrimination, just like a friend's would be. Now, hopefully take this information and work in conjunction with your trauma therapist to figure out what works for you and what's N.A., but this traumatized motherfucker podcast community and social media presence is not meant to be a replacement for trauma therapy. I'm just researching, reflecting on trauma experientially and academically, which means I assume no liability for your getting triggered, enmeshed, or offended, or any of the subsequent trauma reactions thereafter. Me and the other motherfuckers in the blanket fort are here to help to be supportive and to offer acceptance. But boundaries and realistic expectations are important for everyone in the complex trauma game. And while we're at it, my recovery is as important slash exhausting to manage to me as it probably is to you. So I always want to hear from you, your challenges, your successes, and your stories to share them with the entire crew. But please know that I can't therapize you and any crisis situations need to be addressed immediately from an appropriately trained resource. But that being said, if you're searching for personal understanding, support, and maybe some laughs about our truly fucked up brains along the way, then you're in the right place. Welcome to Traumatized Motherfuckers, and I really hope to see more of you. My name is Jess, and let's be clear. I'm just a traumatized motherfucker doing my best. Cheers, y'all. I'll see you at the show. What up, fuckers? It's Jess here. Really happy to be coming at ya. I've had to take a bit of a hiatus again from certain aspects of this project. Not because I'm overwhelming myself with workaholism this time. Well, not exactly. Uh, there's just other shit going on. So <laughs> I take too much on and there are always things for me to adapt to. Specifically, I'm talking about an adorable little puppy right now who you've probably heard me talk about him already, but let's just say he is essentially the same as having a newborn baby. I'm not the one who is proposing that. My mother said that and she had three kids of her own, so I believe her. Anyway, she's been watching me struggle through that with immense amusement because I think it might be the closest she ever gets to having grandchildren, uh, at least based on how my brothers and I are living our lives so far. But I'm really excited to get the chance to get back to any of my passion here with trauma, besides my passion with animal care. <laughs> so I'm wanting to talk today about shame. 
Something has been on my mind and in my gut lately. Uh, While I've been staying here with my mom for the past two months, I have been reintroduced to a very peculiar creeping sensation. Uh, It's one that's been kind of difficult for me to name or describe, to be honest with you, but it has been challenging the fuck out of me day in and day out nevertheless. So just a quick reminder that I'm a fucking 30-year-old who is staying with my mother right now. And honestly, it's really for no particular reason. I have a home back in Atlanta. I'm paying rent while not being there. I literally came to Illinois for some medical errands, uh, expecting to be here for maybe a week or two. And I just haven't left, which is insane to consider. But I work online, I haven't spent time with my mom in about, I don't know, 20 years, and you know, Georgia is a fucking shit show right now between the COVID outbreaks and the civil unrest, so I guess I figure, what's the rush? I'm kind of settled here right now. On top of that, my mom has a little farm full of horses and adorable feral cats, I mean, they're friendly now, but they were adopted feral, and a big blind dog. And on top of that, I have money-making opportunities here, so shit, why would I leave? Plus, now I'm fostering my special puppy, and he's keeping me tied to this area until I make the big decision if I am adopting him forever, or if another family would be a better fit. So, it sounds pretty cool up here, yeah? Uh, Yeah, there have been some good times. It's been therapeutic at certain points when I haven't been consumed with heartbreak for my missing boo or workaholism for my anxiety avoidance. I think you've heard some of that. I have overworked myself down to the bone and there have been some periods where I was ready to lose my shit. But besides the good times, there have also been some ongoing challenges with just the inherent nature of being here in my mom's house. Those old family dynamics really never fucking fade. I'm sure that you get it. We get along and we relate to each other better now than we ever have before, but motherfuckers, there are still a lot of weirdsy feelings. There is tension. There are old patterns that drive us both up the goddamn wall. There are topics that we still cannot address. And it definitely makes me wonder if these ancient obstacles are ever going to be worn down or if my stupid brain will ever stop jumping from point A to point, I fucking hate you, mom, like I am 15 years old. It is absurd. So sometimes there's just this one particular tension bubbling under the surface, and sometimes it comes rearing up like a swarm of bats out of hell. And that's generally when my mom says something that rubs me the wrong way in a critical sense. When she's being negative towards me, or mentioning something that I'm doing wrong, or even just suggesting that I do something differently... This strong inner feeling of discomfort and sharp, pointy sensations screams into the picture and effectively smears all the paint that we've carefully laid down. 
so much for all of our personal progress. That sense of inner peace and feeling like we belong together is gone. The result for me is to shut down or to lash out. My mom referred to it as the wrath of just yesterday, and I'm really not fucking proud, but I'm also not saying that she is wrong. When she gets critical, I get mean. I can't really take things in stride or shake off her comments. I just immediately go into defense mode and start pointing out all the ways that she's not being so great herself. I stop I feel the desire to just stop talking and to run off and to hide, to lick my wounds and to wallow. Fuck this, I'm out. My brain just stops working and this burning void in my chest and stomach takes over. And what is that feeling? What is the sensation that my mom in particular is so adept at inspiring? It's kind of the same feeling that comes up when I have a perceived failure at work or I let down my other loved ones. This sensation that really felt rooted inside of my body for years in my 20s. Let's just say all of my 20s. And it was endlessly torturing me day in and day out as I would lie awake at night or I would try to do anything during the day. It basically stalled me out from accomplishing a single fucking thing other than snacking on American cheese and tortillas. Not even warmed up. (laughs) The aching and painful and gut-wrenching and twisting feeling that I'm thinking of stuck with me for every moment of the day back then. This emotion feels so familiar, and yet... Somehow I feel like it's never really been named. And actually, through one of my conversations with another motherfucker, my New Zealand queen bitch, Rhea, who gives so much light to my life, fucking love her, I realized what this shit was. And then I started doing research of my own. So, if it's not obvious, today I'm talking about shame. What the fuck is shame? Like, what inspires it? How does it intermingle with trauma? How does our culture make it a hidden universal experience like so many other mental health issues? And why the fuck is it so linked with my motherfucking mother? (laughs) Guys, I'm proud to say that I'm going to be doing this one a bit differently than some of the others. I will be honest... I've really held off on getting too educational or nerdy on this blog and podcast entirely for my own personal reasons. I've been trying to come back from that, but seriously, number one, I'm not a counselor or a trauma expert. I feel like a phony when I'm trying to lay out harsh information and say that I understand it all because I am just about to embark on my formal psychology education. Everything I've been through has been pretty experiential or just doing my own learning on my own. Two, writing and subsequently podcasting, which you know, or maybe you don't know, was really just a random crapshoot that I started doing this 
after blogging. It really started out as a way to just deal with my own inner musings and my discoveries throughout my trauma recovery. I was never trying to make more work for myself. I was kind of trying to heal and provide relatable information to other people just to let them know that they're not the only ones feeling fucking awful and shitty all the time. Three, I got really fucking sick of writing dry research-based articles after spending six years in cellular biology research. I'm not going to lie, it sucked a lot of the passion out of writing for me, and I revolted against it. You know how my writing tends to seem really conversational, and people at least tell me that it's easy to read, and just kind of like we're vibing off each other? Yeah, I've had to work at that, because my old instincts were writing like a pretentious asshole and cramming as many big words into one sentence as possible. I've literally had to break myself of those habits. So it really was nice to write from these purely experiential and emotional places rather than just cramming fucking facts from other people's studies into manuscripts. What can I say? Uh, I didn't miss sitting down with a highly regarded journal article and spending five days trying to get through five pages of reading. But the time has come. I'm headed back to school in a few weeks, so I'm going to start doing some real writing, quote, (laughs) real writing using research. And also now I have access to libraries of research articles again, so we're back in the saddle. Yeehaw. All of this is to say, this might be a bit of a dry and educational little episode, but we're going to talk about shame and complex trauma, factually, not experientially. And I'll throw in some of my old vernacular and comments for everyone's entertainment. Hope that's all right. So first of all, what is shame? Because I didn't really know. Shame is one of the hallmarks of complex trauma, and I've known that. We all experience it, but we rarely really talk about shame in particular. I'm guessing it's because it's much easier to address the symptoms of complex trauma, such as flashbacks and isolation and anxiety, because we have a deeper understanding and identification and vernacular for these issues. Shame, on the other hand, seems like it remains more elusive. It's really not an emotion that most of us are taught to conscientiously experience or even identify, like I described, but we are inherently programmed to avoid that negative sensation when it comes up. So, of course, like all emotions, it's really only possible to suppress that energy for so long before that shit takes a stronger hold. The feeling eventually makes its presence known in more deleterious ways than the initial event or subsequent response. Let's go through something quickly here. What is the difference between guilt and shame? Again, I didn't know. I think it's difficult to differentiate for most of us because we haven't been educated on our emotions. But in essence, guilt is related to an event 
whereas shame is related to judgment of the human themselves. So following an unfortunate occurrence, a person might feel guilty for the way that they responded in the moment. In contrast, a person might feel shame for their inherent inability to handle the situation or for making a broad judgment of their entire personality and self-worth. Guilt is connected with assessing a human's behavior, but shame is linked to the judgment of one's self. That makes sense. So for instance, it's the difference between beating the shit out of yourself for the words you spoke to a family member in a heated moment versus beating the shit out of yourself for being a burden to your family member. The first example is guilt. The second example is shame. Make sense? So the other interesting thing is shame is specifically born from personal relations. In most cases, shame emerges when it's felt to be a risk to social connections. Shame is part of a group of emotions that are known as self-conscious emotions, which are created by a self-evaluating process. AKA, we're talking about that motherfucking inner critic who sees what's going on, interprets your circumstances, and then judges you yourself harshly. Why not? So with this shame response, your sense of self is determined by your assumed capability to meet internal and external expectations especially those expectations linked to social behaviors. So of course, relationships are highly important and concurrently difficult for trauma sufferers. Their expectations for themselves and others may be unrealistic and based in false core beliefs from early experiences. Shame is an important part of every social interaction although very few of us realize it blatantly because we haven't been taught. Embarrassment is a less weighty form of shame, and it's another universal motive that influences interpersonal behaviors. This is especially relevant to complex trauma because as social animals, we humans try to interpret the minds of others by developing a sense of self and a sense of identity based on what we're seeing in them, how they react to us. This is accomplished through interpersonal interactions and generally it starts to form early in life as we begin to explore and understand the social hierarchies and norms that form our world and keep us safe. Some call this concept the looking glass self. As you can imagine, this looking glass interpretation is difficult to construct with any accuracy, especially in an abusive family dynamic where the child is first beginning to form their initial sense of self. So shame is often described as a physiological jolt. It's concomitant or closely followed by a sense of unimportance, vulnerability, and worthlessness. 
It can also include an inhibition of the neurological areas responsible for the normal ability to think or speak, as well as an inherently quick urge (laughs) to hide and avoid similar situations in the future. It has been described as acutely disturbing and painful to an extent that it is likely unparalleled by any other negative emotion. Mind blown. Because complex trauma, by definition, includes interpersonal trauma originating from the sufferer's closest social support and intimate family connections, It is extremely prevalent for complex trauma sufferers to have experienced heightened shame responses. Does that sound right to anybody else? Let's make it more complicated. Our anti-shame culture causes further shame. With the exception of those with a few key personality disorders, Shame is universal in the human experience. Despite this fact, the emotion is generally kept hidden. It is regarded as an unattractive and unrelatable emotion, especially in Western societies. Particularly in the US, we have a shame-based culture. We are groomed to see ourselves as separate beings responsible for ourselves to compete for success to be self-sufficient, and to fit nicely into the accepted norms. In an individualistic culture such as this, where the achievement of personal success and highly independent living is critical, the discussion of shame is quieted due to the idealistic focus on projecting high self-esteem. There is an inherent reluctance to acknowledge any form of interdependence or self-doubt. The existence of cultural shaming for having shame itself may cause the emotion to develop into a range of mental health issues. It's no shock that because individuals are struggling with mental health problems, they are generally less likely to be productive and self-sufficient. Then, their personal doubts for failing to meet these societal expectations may become a significant source of additional shame, which further discourages disclosure and pursual for help. So you can see how it is a self-perpetuating cycle. Shame serves to alienate, devalue, and demoralize individuals with prior mental health and socioeconomic disabilities based on their unacceptable marginalized status. It's no surprise that mental illness sufferers become isolated and often continue to degrade mentally with increased severity of their ongoing disorders. Coping strategies for shame. As I previously stated, human thought and speech formation are inhibited when experiencing shame. Thus, awareness of shame is believed to lead to awareness and regulation of other emotions. But we don't necessarily have any awareness of it. 
Shame vehemently attacks the internal sense of self-worth, so it's common to rely on coping strategies to minimize, deny, project, and displace shame as a way to avoid the painful emotion. For example, it's preferential to label oneself as stupid rather than acknowledging that they are ashamed. Again, a shout out to our inner critics who we are very familiar with. There are four categories that we commonly employ to quiet our shame. There's withdrawal, attack of oneself, avoidance, and attack of others. So when people believe that the message behind their shame response is truthful or valid, if they accept the message, they often choose to withdraw or self-attack. So withdrawal is an attempt to avoid the shame-inducing situation from happening again by staying unseen and unheard. Self-attack is the mechanism to try to influence yourself to make changes. As you've decided your personality or you yourself are unacceptable. That's your inner critic again. Now, on the other hand, if the message behind the shame response is interpreted to be unjust, unfair, if it is rejected, people might avoid the shame by shutting off the emotion altogether. On the other hand, some may choose the more aggressive coping strategy of becoming verbally or physically aggressive as a way to turn the table on the other humans before they can be shamed again. So the first two strategies, withdrawal and self-attack, are often connected to isolation and depression. That makes a lot of sense, and that describes places I've been before. Substance abuse might be more likely in individuals who turn to avoidance, who try to shut off the emotion entirely with forms of escapism. And the coping strategy of attacking others to quell one's own shame, that causes other forms of social deviance. You're probably going to think of serial killers and bar fighters and abusers. Or just to be less dramatic, hypocritical assholes who have a deep sense of indignation. Shame and complex trauma. At this point, it probably goes without saying, there are obvious foundational coping and life-altering correlations between CPTSD and shame. It should be no surprise that shame is one of the hallmarks of complex trauma. Since complex trauma usually happens within a highly intimate and relational set of circumstances, sufferers are likely to be personally connected by blood or otherwise dependent on the perpetrator. A sudden violation of personal trust, sense of control, and bodily integrity is often earth-shattering to the survivor which in the early stages of self-identity formation very easily leads to self-blaming. Individuals who experience early life trauma often report 
high levels of shame. They are more likely to engage in highly critical thinking and are less likely to engage in positive, self-assured thought patterns. Yeah, that sounds right for me. Humans who experience complex trauma often report that their self-integrity and ability to easily relate to others in healthy and, quote, normal ways are drastically impaired. As we all know, rather than being a source of support and comfort, complex trauma sufferers, closest associates, friends, and family can often be a source of further mental distress and additional shame. They often report relational complaints and a highly damaged sense of self as the ultimate reasons for entering mental health treatment. That's true for me. These issues regularly include self-criticism, isolation, and relational aggression or instability. Yes, yes, yes. Research suggests that shame is, dis is associated with the onset, maintenance, and deepening of post-traumatic stress symptoms. Denying or avoiding this feeling often results in additional mental distress over time. Yeah. So let's talk about shame and PTSD treatment. So even though it's recognized as a hallmark of trauma, shame is often overlooked in the trauma treatment. This may be due to the limitations of psychological models to identify and grade shame, personal reluctance to discuss shameful topics, and difficulty in defining the hidden trauma symptom because we don't talk about it. However, shame and PTSD stress symptoms have been shown to be associated with activity in similar brain regions. Specifically, targeting shame in treatment may be critical at the neurobiological junction. This pattern parallels what professionals know clinically about shame as a core emotion that's often related to traumatic experiences and all of the subsequent associated meanings. The beginning of many complex trauma recovery journeys is marked by the decision to disclose traumatic experiences to trusted loved ones. But this is very complicated because shame is both a deterrent to disclosing a traumatic experience and a motivator for disclosure to relieve the personal tension. Ultimately, shame itself might hinder individuals from seeking treatment or from honestly discussing their mental distress with loved ones. Specifically, it's known that the fear of being perceived as damaged often motivates people not to disclose their shame-inducing experiences. Shame is often especially intense for male trauma survivors who may develop a deep sense of inferiority and intense fear of being discovered. This can lead to a lifetime of non-disclosure and isolation as an avoidant coping technique. Unfortunately, avoiding shame is likely to result in additional internal distress and the onset of subsequent symptoms or mental disorders. How can we relieve the shame? If shame furthers trauma-related symptoms, treatment needs to begin to address shame for such symptoms to decrease. 
Shame needs to be a central intervention target. Unfortunately, fearing negative perception and risk of losing key relationships, many survivors see counseling as one of the few situations where they can actually discuss their deep sense of pain. But, of course, the inherent nature of counseling can be overwhelmingly shame-inducing. Diving deep into past and present experiences of the trauma sufferer can be triggering for ongoing shame responses. That's especially true if the events have never been openly discussed before. Acceptance and supportive responses from members of survivors' support systems may result in decreased levels of shame. This is why it's critical to find the right counselor and external support system during PTSD recovery. A lack of judgment and inhibition of negative responses is critical in creating a safe environment where the sufferer can begin to address the memories and symptoms of PTSD. They may benefit significantly from feedback that includes an outside narration of the original events with alternative framing that specifically remove the self-imparted judgments from the trauma survivor. With disclosure, acceptance, reframing, and time, complex trauma sufferers may begin to reduce their personal shame response and start to form a more favorable self-evaluation. Their sense of self and personal identity may begin to heal with more realistic expectations for themselves and others. In layman's terms, they may escape the cycle of self-brutalization and inner criticism that inhibits their ability to see themselves clearly and engage in normal social engagements. Shut down the shame, treat the underlying trauma. All right, dudes, so that's my little spiel on shame. It was honestly really helpful for me to get into the literature and do some digging on the topic. I am being completely honest that I did not understand the meaning or relevance of shame until I got a bit nerdy with the open access library search. I also have to admit, since reading and writing about this, I am seeing things a lot more clearly with my mom. When our interactions inspire my shame spiral, it's very useful to be able to identify it as such. Oh, that's what this terrible fucking feeling is. That's why I'm being such a huge dick in response. That's why my brain and tongue stop working when we're in the moment. And also, oh, that's the feeling that ruled my childhood and adolescence. That's the emotion and relational system that ruled our household. That's how my parents chose to, well, kind of parent. That was my response to all the early rejection I felt in our home and at school. That's how I learned to be a quiet, fawning introvert with a nasty inner critic who lashes out at others when they start to put me down. It all makes so much sense in hindsight and with the words of clinical psychologists echoing in my head. Uh, I'm definitely not saying that I've stopped being a total douchewad when I've been challenged or put down with my maternal interactions, but at least now I can name that feeling and recognize it's an old artifact from early failures in being socialized. I can reason through it and I can just let it go faster. 
faster than before. I never want it to become a pervasive way to torture myself ever again because I really did that for a decade. And I never want it to stop me from disclosing my experiences to other people who might be going through their own silent shaming. If you want to read the literature review that I dove deeply into, it's called An Ecological Approach to Understanding Pervasive and Hidden Shame in Complex Trauma. You can find that in the blog post if you'd like to go searching. And no, I'm not going to cite my shit correctly because fuck it, I did it too many times when I used to manage our citation library for every manuscript. I'm not doing it anymore. Fucking deal with it. Sorry, buttholes. If you are interested in more of this research approach, writing and reading, good news. I think that's where my future is headed when I start school again. So I will be following up with podcasts similar to this one, some personal, some educational, try to get a good mix. As always, you can feel free to hop on over to traumatizemotherfuckers.com or t-mfrs.com if you want to find this blog post or, I don't know, maybe like a hundred other ones. If you want to get in touch through the contact forms or my email, if you would like to subscribe to the newsletter, or if you want to jump into the Discord community. Also, if you have any topics you'd like me to look into, anything you're actually not super clear on, like I didn't really understand shame, uh, drop me a line anytime. Let me know what mysterious experience you are curious about, and I'll see if I can do some research. And please don't let shame stop you from reaching on out. We're all going through it. I fucking promise. All right, guys. That's been my little essay on shame, and I hope that it helps you understand that nasty fucking feeling that might pop up anytime you're interacting with your mom, too. <laughs> Hopefully not. All right, later. I will talk to you guys soon, and goodbye. And I still believe that we're not that hopeless. We're not as fucked as you think in short moments. We can't do anything. The fucking joke is we're winning when you blink in short moments. Lousy with big